The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericahealth.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Miracles in Recovery with Ray Lynch. If you are one of the millions of people facing addiction issues or the loved one of someone who is, we're here to help and to discuss solutions. Hope is in your corner. Now, here's your host, Ray Lynch. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Miracles in Recovery. I have Ellen in the studio with me. Hi, Ellen. Hi, everybody. Looking lovely today, as usual. Thank you. Um, before we before we start into what we're go- what our conversation is going to be about the uh, courage to change and the shame and guilt that we carry as addicts, I don't know if you carried shame and guilt as a parent. You do. You do. Um, the the way that society looks at addicts now. First of all, they blame the parents and the family, and second of all, there, there's just a lot of shame and stigma attached to the disease in and of itself. What, you know, what your addict does can be a problem, and if they are arrested in a small town, a lot of times it's in the paper, there, there's, there is a lot of shame and a lot of confusion that goes along with being in, a, in an addict's family. Yeah, I guess, I guess, you know, and and being the addict in this conversation and seeing it's all about me, that was the furthest thing from my mind was what we do to our loved ones. I was always worried about what was going on with me and not with the damage that I was assisting my family uh, with as well. And I think a lot of times the family is forgotten when we're treating the addict, when we're looking at, you know, let's, let's help the addict. But the, the family is, is suffering a lot of times to a greater degree because they're dealing with the messes that need to, to be cleaned up. They're dealing with fixing the problems that the addicts caused, you know, not the least of which is to go to the pawn shop and buy back all of your jewelry, <laughs> that has been, you know, your wedding rings and grandma's jewelry and your TVs and all of that stuff. True. Um, it, there, there is quite a lot of, of, shame that goes into being a family member you lose i lost a lot of friends a lot of friends through yeah, I, I guess my children's I guess, I guess. addiction uh-huh. i guess because you know, people don't want to be around you they don't want to be bothered with it they're they're afraid that something bad's going to happen to them i don't know if they think it's going to rub right. off or if you know your addict's going to come and steal from them which they might you just or, it, or there so, she goes again chasing after her addict we'll use that word We'll chase after her addict at two or three o'clock in the morning again. Yeah, know. that too. Yeah. There's yeah. there's just there's all kinds of craziness associated with it. And you don't talk to a lot of people about it because you don't know how they're going to respond. No, that's that's very true. You don't want to bring you. your laundry into somebody no. else's yeah. In a professional situation like where I work, they don't know. And and they don't have a need to know. I mean I well for me, I have no problem with sharing who I am 
in what I'm about because that's the way that I have to live my life. Or well, that's that's my mindset today. I don't go out in public and shake people's hands for the first time and say, "Hi, I'm Ray, and I'm in recovery." But I do let it be known that that is the way that I choose to live today. And there's been times where I've been in people's company and they say, hey, you want a beer? And I say, no, thank you. I, I don't drink. And they go, oh, you know, one of those. And I say, well, yeah, I'm worse than one of those, you know. <laughs> so there are ways to be able to justify my seat in common conversation, but it isn't anything. I don't wear any paraphernalia that is uh, 12-step related um, only because I don't want to give the morally greater the ability to look down on me. Nobody needs to look down on me today. I'm no less than anyone else. And I see people, I've heard people at registers, oh, look, he's got a Narcotics Anonymous shirt on, dirtbag, or, you know. So I don't give them the fuel to do that. It's not, it's not my place to worry about what other people are doing, but it is my place to worry about my own health and safety. So I just choose not to broadcast by clothing. Well, and nor do I. However, I do have a T-shirt that says rehabilitation, not incarceration. And I wore yeah. it somewhere and I actually had a kid come up to me and say, I really believe in that. And, it, you know, it made me feel kind of good. Well, he, I think he might have just gotten out. Yeah. But yeah, that's that's pretty typical of what happens when you're, you know, far enough down the road in your disease. But I think, and I am on a crusade to start sharing without shame. You know, I have to be careful. Right. Because you have to protect yourself. However, I do not feel that there should be any stigma attached to being sick. And addicts are sick. It is a disease of the brain. And you, you do not shame Diabetics who eat sweet stuff and drink Cokes, you do not shame people with lung cancer who smoked. Mm-hmm. Why would you shame someone who was born with a brain that's different than yours and can't handle certain substances? I saw something, and it was a sign, and it said, why look down on someone who sins different than you do? Exactly. You know, and that is that makes so much sense because... Nobody that's walking the earth that's human is above anything that I've done. I I was only one bad decision away from the life that I led. I chose to take that bad decision, and it brought me on a ride I didn't want to be on. Um, I don't think I would give up a day of it because I love who I am today, and I had to go through every single thing I had to go through to sit in this seat and be able to share who I am, to be able to have the courage enough to turn the mic on and say, hi, I'm Ray, I'm an addict. And I think you, you, you see a lot of people who have gone through that and have come out the other side, and they are wonderful human beings that they probably wouldn't have been had, you, you know, had they not had the terrible experiences that, that helped them to grow and, and gave them the incentive to help other people. I know a lot of moms who've lost their children to addiction and they are trying to help other moms whose children are still actively using, but they're still mm. alive. 
They also try to help other moms who are suffering from just losing a child. And there, there's a lot of that going around right now because we have the, this terrible opiate epidemic. Exactly, exactly. You know, and, and it's funny because, well, it's not funny, it's sad that when you look at it, it's easier to get the addict into a meeting than it is to get the family into an Al-Anon. Most definitely. that It's the addict's problem, yeah. not mine. There's nothing yeah. wrong with me. I'm just standing here holding the bag trying to fix everything. And then the addict starts getting better, and, and you're still the family sick. is still in chaos. Yes. Yeah. yes, it is quite a conundrum, and I, it... It bothers me because I'm in a lot of support groups and it, it really bothers me a lot that I don't see more parents. You know, if you go to the rooms of AA and NA, they're full. Where are the families of all of those people? Because they say every addict directly affects at least five other people. <laughs> they may be sitting next to them yeah. today. Who knows? Well, My whole family used. Well, mine mine didn't. And, yeah. you know, it was... Um, it was a big surprise to me, and I didn't really know what I was facing. And you, and that's another thing that you can help parents with who really are not as far along down the road as perhaps some of us are who've been dealing with this for years and years and years. And, you know, you can look at somebody, and, and I, I have a friend who came in to the rooms, and her son went to rehab, and he's not using at the moment, and she stopped coming. And people were saying, well, where'd she go? And I said, she'll probably be back mm. because... Usually one trip to rehab just doesn't do it, especially with an opioid addiction that was pretty pretty strong. So. True, true. Well, phone lines are open. Call 866-472-5792. That's 866-472-5792. Let your voice be heard. Share a little bit of your experience, strength, and hope with the subject that we're talking about, the courage to change and the shame we carried while using or carrying the burden of an active addict while you're a family member. I want to read something here. It says, Courage is not the absence of fear, but the willingness to push forward and make changes in the face of fear. For those with addictions to drug and alcohol, drugs and alcohol, the thought of giving up mood-altering chemicals is a scary proposition that requires significant courage. I had no idea when I was at the end of my road that I had to find courage enough to be able to say enough is enough. I think I was so blinded by the mayhem that was going on around me, I never even knew what the word courage was. I knew what the word surrender was because I used that as a, as a, some kind of, I was in the Marine Corps and, and surrender you scream, stand fast and die. Sadly enough, that blocked my willingness to be able to get out of my own way to surrender. Because it was bred in me, stand fast and die, stand fast and die. Well, guess what? People are all dying around me. So I better find some courage enough, like this, what I just read, you know, to change. And it, it's not toughness. Like you said, no. it's more willingness to put your will aside and allow someone else to come in and say, look, this is how I did it. Why don't right. you try some of these things? Get out of, you know, like you always say, get out of your own way. And, and right. as a family member, I have to get out of my own way, too, because mm -hmm. I have all these ideas about how things are supposed to be and how things should be done. And, you know, I'm one of these organization people with lists and all that stuff, and that just does not work. 
with an active addict. Right. I mean, we're, we're, we're taught early on that words like courage, surrender, those are physical, emotional words. Surrender. Well, no, I'm not going to surrender. Well, you almost think about them in a the military. Yeah, well, yeah. Like uh-huh. a soldier. I, yeah. I have to be strong. I have to be courageous, and I'm not going to surrender. But we kind of learn it that way in school. Well, yeah, so we do. learned behavior, do. And, then, and then when we get to the end of the road, it's tough to take that and make it into something that's going to project you into a positive thought process. Because it took forever for me to get to where I wanted to at least be comfortable with who I was. Well, and it's baby steps, too. I think you, you don't get it all in one day. You don't do it perfectly every day. We're human. We're not supposed to be perfect, and we're not, we're not going to be. And I think that's another one of the, the hallmarks of addiction is that, you know, the addict feels like for some reason they were less than, they were imperfect. Mm-hmm. And this drug makes me feel like I'm bulletproof. It makes me feel better. So I'm going to give it up even though, you know, I'm in trouble with the law. I'm losing my family. I don't have a job. I'm having to steal to, to get the drug. It doesn't matter because the pull of it is that strong. Right. So I cannot even begin to imagine the amount of courage it would take to say, okay, I'm going to stop or I'm going to try to stop. I'm going to try to change <laughs> the way that I think the way that I act, I'm going to try to, you know, I have to change everything. Right. Those all go against the grain of, of the thought process as well. You know, because the first time I tried heroin, you know, I had the feeling that everyone talked about, you know, what my, my scattered thought process came quiet. You See, know, I and, can't even imagine. <laughs> I cannot yeah, even begin to imagine. And, That's the difference in the addict and the non-addict. And I have to say, mentally, at that moment, I became addicted. Physically, no. Yeah. But mentally, I obsessed over next. I want to feel that way again. Right. I don't want to because, stop feeling that way ever again. Because I, because I didn't have to think about what was going on around me. It, it, it brought everything into a nice little bun. And it all made sense to me because my mind wasn't going in 27 different directions. It was going in one, and it was down, and I didn't know it. But mentally, I was immediately addicted. Physically, it took a while. So common sense, when I, when I decided enough was enough, and dying really wasn't an option I wanted to enlist in, it took all that much longer to get it out of my system and to get it out of my thought process because I immediately, when I took it, obsessed about it. So mentally, even when it was physically out of my system, I was still obsessing about it. I can see why, it, you know, if it makes you feel that much better and if it shrinks you down to, you know, this is the most important thing in the world, that's why all of the other stuff that it causes doesn't really matter. Right. Right, and in all of the chaos, like you said, it really doesn't matter. Living on the street and, you know, stealing things from here and there and scamming and scheming to get next and to not even get high, but just to chase that very first one. Wow. Um, and I guess that's why after people go through the detox process, which is pretty awful, they still go back out and get it again. Now, yeah. You know, that's one of the things that I just, that just floors me. You go through this, you're sick, you're miserable, 
why would you want to go back and start it all over again? Because your mind is still yeah. Because it takes because a long, you want to be in that bun. Yeah, it takes a, it takes a long time to get out of that mindset, you know. And it's um, it, it's I I can't I, I can't really explain it. Um, well, and then you have to deal with the mess you've made once you're out of well, it. Well, that's too. what I mean. And that would so, be even harder. It's like, so oh my now gosh, I, I really want to get back yeah. in there. I really want to hide because look at all this crap that I've been dragging around for all of yeah, these years. Yeah, look at all the people that are mad. Yeah. Look at uh-huh. the legal problems I've got. It 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 can't be a pretty picture, and so I think it takes it takes more courage than a non-addict can even begin to imagine to make that change and make it a true change. Right, but in the same token. An addict that is using and running around like a nut can't even imagine the damage that they're doing to the family unit, to the community, to the neighborhood uh, in itself. Uh, and I, I always say the disease is stronger than love because it's stronger than a mother's love. I've oh, never yeah. seen anything that would make a mother abandon her children. You know, that's unimaginable to me, but it does it all the time. It is stronger than anything that I can imagine. Oh, no, absolutely. I mean, I, I've seen, sadly, children being left in cars and children oh, yeah, being sold. You see I, you see some of these crazy articles and you go like, I can't believe that. But in today's world, it's like, yeah, it's, yep, makes sense. And, and it's, that's why I say it's stronger than love. And that's pretty doggone strong because I, I can't think of anything in my in my being, that's stronger than my love for my children. Right. And I don't think that there is anything that, that could have caused me to abandon them in any way, shape, or form, mentally, physically, in any other way. And it happens all the time. And I know these these women are probably very hurt by it, but they can't help it. And that's what people don't understand. Yeah, well, I, you know, there is a there is a way out. Yes. And hopefully... But it does take the courage to step up and say, I'm ready to make that change. And we personally know people who have dealt with addicts and have uh, have lived in the pain. And either they don't know how to get out of it, or they choose to stay angry. Yes. And I think they, they you know, the anger can feel justifiable. It probably feels good and powerful. Mm-hmm. But it's so destructive. It's so destructive. That uncomfortable feeling is is sometimes more comfortable than not knowing. Yeah, you have who to replace really it with something. Yeah, and that was one of the things we can talk about that on the other side of the break. We're coming up close, but that was one of the things that I had the fear of. I was always afraid of who am I going to be because I was who everyone wanted me to be for the moment to get what I needed to get and it was tough to say okay well now who is Ray you know so who is Ray and how do I come out of this and that's probably where courage surrender all of those words that I had twisted meaning for really came into play well, it's a very heroic thing to do, and people don't realize that because there is such a stigma against the disease of addiction and, and the active addict who is using. And that's something that really needs to change for, I think, for for a lot of people to get better. 
they're not going to get better until we have a different mindset in this country about how addicts, you know, what's wrong with them and how they need to be treated. Yes, they're creating mayhem. Yes, they're, they're making everybody miserable, but they honestly are sick people. They True. are not doing it to hurt other people. They're doing it because they're hurting. Everything you've ever dreamed of is on the other side of the fear you feel. Call in. 866-472-5792. We'll share a little more of our experience, strength, and hope when we come back. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. The root causes of disease can be better prevented and cured using an integration of modern medicine and holistic healing techniques. Become educated by tuning in to Generation Regeneration with Sandra Guy Malhotra. Conventional medicine does have its place, but it should not be the only course of action. It's all about regenerating and healing our whole selves through better choices in lifestyle, foods, spiritual connection, and stress management. Tune in every Tuesday at noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern, on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Children with chronic conditions shouldn't have to just live with it. There are many alternative options that can reduce, reverse, or even eliminate the effects of chronic illness in our children. On Kids Health Revolution Radio with host Deborah Morgan, we'll explore these alternatives to help you take care of your children. It's time to take our kids' health back. Listen every Wednesday at 8 a.m. Pacific Time, 11 a.m. Eastern Time on Voice America Health & Wellness. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. You are listening to Miracles in Recovery. To reach the program today, please call in to 1-866-472-5792. That's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email to ray at miraclesinrecovery.org. Now, back to this week's show. Hey, welcome back. We are going to pick up the conversation where we left off. We were talking about the courage to change and walking through the shame and guilt. During the break, I was looking at some paperwork, and this this sentence popped right off the page at me. There is no more powerful relationship than the one that exists between fear and shame. Boy, isn't that the truth? I don't know how to process that. You know what I mean? That's um, it's so solid and it makes so much sense. But today, I, I I don't I don't dabble with fear and shame, or I try not to. I I do suffer from a disease that, in one one moment, tells me I'm greater than, and then the next moment tells me I'm lesser than. But I don't muddy around in the waters of fear and shame like I used to anymore because I don't need it for justification of use. But you can still feel that. I'm thinking back to an experience that I had as a child. I was terrified of public speaking and I I had to do a speech. You're doing good. Yeah, well, I got over it. Um, But I had to do a speech and I got up to do it and I couldn't talk. 
I literally couldn't talk, and I ran out of the room. Yeah. And then I had to come back, and, you know, I eventually came back and managed to do it, but there was a lot of shame involved, and, you know, the kids did tease me about it later. Mm. A lot of them did. So, yeah, I think fear and shame, fear of being shamed, and yes, human beings will do that to each other, right. and to be strong enough to withstand that and rise above it is very, very difficult, even, you know, for somebody who's not an addict. True. I think it's, you know, it's a human condition, but... You know, here's another thing that's popping out at me. Overcoming fear and negative self-image can be a struggle. And, it, you know, it's a struggle for everybody, but apparently, and I think a lot of a lot of people who are alcoholics or addicts are also very sensitive people. More so than anyone else, I think. Yeah, I do too. And, yeah. I, and I think that sensitivity, even in, um, and, and I'm remembering my mother-in-law who grew up in the Depression, and she said seeing the men on the street who were homeless really hurt her mm -hmm. and bothered her a lot. You know, and her father would just say, oh, you know, stay away from them. Right. But but she worried about them and cried about them and prayed for them. We went to, Brianna, Brendan, and I went to see The Last Dinosaur. I think that's yeah. what it was called, The Last Dinosaur. And in part of the movie, he's lost and he got broken up from his family and he's walking around and he has this little friend with him named Spot. It's a, it's a human, but... He's a caveman, cave kid. Okay. And there was a point in the movie, it brought tears to my eyes. Sensitivity. I mean, with some things that hit us a little bit more sensitive. Brianna turns to me and she goes real out loud, are you crying? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I'm looking at her. I'm looking at her picture here. That's what made me think of it. And there are some people who just really don't have that sensitivity at all. I didn't when know? I was using or, or I didn't portray it when I was using. Well, you were covering it up. Yeah. Yeah. But, you know, the fact that you can feel that much for somebody else, you know, you have that much empathy and sympathy. Mm -hmm. A lot of a lot of people do not have that. And it can wreak havoc on somebody whose psyche is a little more, I don't want to use the word delicate, just maybe a little more refined. Right. And maybe those are the people that they say are inconstitutionally incapable constitutionally incapable of finding a better way to live. I mean, there are some people out there that just go to the bowels of the depths of addiction and never come out. And it's maybe because they can't... They just um, can't process how rotten yeah. some people can be yeah. and, and handle it. And, it, you know, it's hard. I find it hard sometimes, too. And, you, you know, then... It, you get the anger, and I think maybe addicts have problems processing the anger, too, because anger doesn't feel good. Anger is scary. Well, I think, I think for me, shame would turn into anger, because when I felt less than or when I felt cheap or whatever, I would get angry. To justify To justify, it. to mask that. Yeah. Feeling inside me, I would get yeah, angry. If, and if somebody says, what easier, are you doing? Right. It was easier to be pissed. Than it was to feel bad, to feel less than, to feel fear, to feel shame. But there's really, you shouldn't have to feel fear, and you shouldn't have to struggle with it. Mm. Well, yeah, no, you shouldn't have to, but I mean, that's a real emotion that, uh, fortunately enough today, I'm grateful that I do feel. Because if I was pushing it down and pushing it away... It would only come out of me in a twisted way, and I would act the way that I acted before, maybe without a substance, 
then my mindset is I'm acting like an idiot anyway. Why not use? And so therein comes the courage. Yes, the, exactly. cur- the courage to make the change, to, to change all of those behaviors, probably one at a time, so that you can live in the world and be able to process the things that are upsetting without, without needing and having to use. True. And, 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 I, and I think a lot of times, you know, the family that you grew up in, people say kids are resilient. And I have come to the conclusion that they really, truly are not. No. No, I don't believe that. And there is a lot of abuse, you know, and we were, were baby boomers, and, and the baby boomer generation was raised by people who believed in, you know, corporal punishment and all those all those belittling things mm-hmm. um, that they would make better children. And I think a lot of children were very much damaged by that. And I'm going to go ahead and throw this out there. I was raised in a Catholic school by nuns. <laughs> So, We've all heard about that. <laughs> so that's really, you know, if somebody's out there and they can relate, raise your hand. Um, it's it's tough to get to to put a pinpoint on. Okay, now this is how I'm feeling guilty, and now I need to find the courage. I think it's all part of the process of morphing away from the person that you were and having the willingness to change. If you don't have the willingness to change you're always going to be that person that carries around the fear and shame. If you have the willingness to change, then I think the courage just comes naturally because it's an emotion, and your courage replaces your shame. And you have to have courage to change what you can. And I think maybe in the beginning, you don't even know what you can change and what you can't. True. I mean, the only thing I knew I could change were... My sneakers, and that's because somebody bought me some. <laughs> you know, I didn't know that. You hadn't sold them yet. Right. It wasn't about a change of clothes. It was about changing the person that's wearing the clothes. And that was the tough thing because when, they, when I first came in out of the cold, out of the storm, and they said, okay, you need to change, I was like, but this is the only shirt I have. So you didn't even realize that they were talking about changing your your mind, yourself, your soul. Come back tomorrow, you know, and... And that's the cool thing. They realized we can't throw this at him all at once. Right. It's it's baby steps. Mm Mm-hmm. Today he made it. Today he made it through the day clean. We'll share with him a little bit more of our experience tomorrow. And I think somehow, some way... In the chaotic world that we live in today, it wasn't the world that I got clean in. Today is not the world I got clean in. And I'm grateful for that because I don't necessarily know if I would be able to find the courage. that This world is in serious turmoil. Just in in the, the the drug underworld type living is just so bad it's there's so much of it yeah the the drugs are so proliferative now and we have the the addition of all the myriad of pharmaceuticals that are out there now that are fairly easy still for people to get no matter what anybody says and no matter how many laws are passed right and the only pharmaceuticals that we had was when we broke into a pharmacy or something like that but it really wasn't yeah they weren't making the pain pills the way they are now that that came along in the mid-90s, and it's just gotten worse and worse and worse. Right. I remember the show that we did, um, and they had, like, truckloads, 
like dump truck loads. They were like the tonnage that they make. Piles of pills. Yeah. And how do you how do you get past that if you're if that I mean I got past it with, with my drug of choice, so I guess people can do it today. It just seems the way that we are just so much of a disposable society today that it's easier just to let the people fall by the wayside. Well, there is an attitude uh, about that, and I think a lot of first responders are pretty weary. I heard over the weekend 20 people in Cleveland overdosed on Saturday. They're sick. And they died. Carfentanil or whatever it is. The elephant tranquilizer Mm -hmm. or whatever it is. But yes, you know, they're cutting the heroin with that, and overdoses everywhere 129 a day and i think it's probably higher than that yeah but well, you know the official the re- statistic the is 129 ones. a day those are the reported ones that's in. a lot of people it's an awful lot of people and a lot of them are very young or yeah. you know young adults and the people that are responding to the 911 calls probably get really stained in what they see i i i Fortunately enough, I was a firefighter as well. So I got to sadly see a lot of people I knew yeah. in, the, in that state. And I also got to share with the guys that I worked with that every single one of them is just a bad decision away from being laying on the ground like that gentleman is. You know, and it was funny because when we would go to an overdose call, and if I was the driver, they stay in the truck. Yeah. If it was an overdose call, they're like, Ray, you're coming up. Yeah. Only because I had a commonality of what was going on. I knew what was going on. I was clean, but I knew what was going on, and I could process quicker the situation than... Yeah, than the, somebody who's just going to go, oh. and, you know, I'm sure a yeah. lot of them are seeing the same people. Over and over again. Oh, yeah. Because a lot of people overdose. You know, I've heard, I'm in some mom groups on the internet, and and there is one mom, her daughter overdosed three times in a week. Ooh. She's still alive. But, you know, only by the grace of God. And one of the things that really upsets me is if they actually transport them to the hospital, they treat them and street them. As we say, they're, you know, they're back out on the street within a few hours. Oh, yeah. Well, they have to. I mean, what can they, what can they do? Well, I wish that there were some protocols that m- would make somebody who's, who has overdosed and nearly died, and most of them are being brought back, the opiate overdoses brought back by Narcan or Naloxone. I wish that there were protocols where they had to go to treatment for a, a specific period of time, because from what I understand, that puts you, those drugs, you know, the, the antagonist Narcan. drugs... Mm-hmm. Narcan, naloxone will put you into immediate withdrawal. So the yes. first thing the addict is going to do is run right back out and try to get some more of the same drug. Yeah, I've been I've been hit with that before, and sadly, I've I've been the person that you were talking about. But um, you know, and, and you are correct. But I don't necessarily know how we legislate forcing someone into treatment. May I, Maybe a 24-hour, 48-hour observation or something like that, like a, um, like they do with well, alcohol. with the suicide attempts, they do a, a three-day, a three-day hold. I don't know, but they hold them at the hospital. No, they send them to a psychiatric hospital. 
but but they send yes, they, they send, do yeah yes, we, they we are know. held at a hospital so it just to me it seems that you've had someone who has nearly died why would you put them back out on the street to do the same thing again it's crazy oh no I I don't I don't disagree with you I just don't know how we would the be hospitals able to don't mandate. want to deal with them no they do not want no. to deal with addicts and and it's it's unfortunate I maybe have a hospital specifically for addicts I don't know. <laughs> I mean, you we could would, you could almost <laughs> justify that in some places. No, you definitely could. You could justify it in any city, any you know, any city USA. The sad thing is, is that yes, with all of the awareness that we have, the bottom line still is when they are quote unquote a drug addict, morality still squeaks in. Yes, and yes, it does. You know, if you're an alcoholic, oh, you poor slob, come on. But if you're an addict, it's easier to process you out and just push the dirt back out on the street. And I don't know how the other way to say it, but I felt that way before myself. Just push the dirt back out on the street. I didn't want assistance if they were going to mandate it or give it to me or offer it. But it was very easy for them just to knock me back up off the table. Okay, we've observed him for two hours. He's good. I'm shaking like a leaf, and I book out the door. It's just not a conducive environment at that point in a hospital situation. I don't know how, at you know, like with Narcan, you say, you, you know, you immediately go into withdrawal. Now they have to start medicating for the withdrawal. They and own they, that they don't, yeah, and they, they don't do yeah. that. They don't yeah, want so to do that. Yeah, so that's why they push they you could. out the door. They could, but yeah, they don't want to do that. that's why they push you out the door. I mean, because they could start them on on Suboxone, Subutex, even Methadone, and they won't do it. No, because they, they own To you. me, they would save some lives that way. Oh, they, they absolutely would. They absolutely would, but I don't know how or who. Well, it would take a, quite a bit of legislation. Yeah, that's what I mean, quite and, and I don't know how or who but that would, who would we've, stop. We've, you know, the war on drugs that we started 20 or 30 years ago is an abysmal failure. It's only getting worse. And, you know, there are more and more people talking about it. We have legislation now, although, you know, the Obama administration did not get as much as they wanted. They mm -hmm. did pass the Carroll Law. They asked for $1.2 billion for treatment. It was turned down by the Senate, but I think they're going back after it again, and I hope they get it. Because it is very difficult to find treatment options for a lot of people. But it was there. But it was there. It was like right there, wasn't it? The Senate wouldn't pass it. They took that part of it out of the bill. Okay, because I know the bill passed. The bill passed, but they took the 1.2 or $1.1 billion for treatment out. And, and that was the most important why. part of it. Yeah, you kind of wonder why. Well, it's again, it's the morality. The morality of it, but you figure... I mean, you're spending a lot of time yelling about Zika. And, <laughs> you know, how many people is that affecting? I don't think it's affecting as many people as the disease of addiction or substance use of disorder as we're you know we're trying no, to change right. the right. because it because it does have to do with a lot of mental disorder as well addiction addiction goes hand in hand with it it does and there should be treatment for for all of the conditions you know you've got anxiety you've got depression a lot of bipolar disorder adhd and all of those seem to go hand in hand with what you know with eventually developing substance use disorder We'll share a little more on this topic when we come back. Phone lines are open. 866-472-5792.
We'll be back in a minute. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. Do you know about Reiki? This method of healing can complement Western medicine as well as other alternative practices. Besides healing, it can have the additional effect of making you feel more positive about yourself and the world around you. By tuning into For the Love of Reiki with host Paula Vale, you'll find how Reiki can improve your health, bring balance into your life, and fill you with joy. For the Love of Reiki is broadcast live every Wednesday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time and 2 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. It's time to experience radical well-being. Learn to nourish your heart, body, and mind. Manifest your power in the present and learn to live your life's infinite potential. It's time to experience Revolutionary Wellness Talk Radio with host Rochelle McLaughlin. Each week, you'll learn about essential skills and knowledge to help you discover and create your own experience of health and well-being and learn to be empowered to take bold and loving action toward manifesting the life you long for. Tune in every Thursday at 2 p.m. Pacific and 5 p.m. Eastern on Voice America's Health & Wellness Channel. Think you've seen everything there is to see in online television? Let us surprise you. Visit voiceamerica.tv today for sports, health, business, and more on demand 24-7. You are listening to Miracles in Recovery. To reach the program today, please call in to 1-866-472-5792. That's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email to ray at miraclesinrecovery.org. Now, back to this week's show. Welcome back to the last segment. I'm going to pick the conversation up where we left off. Feel free to join us at 866-472-5792. That's 866-472-5792. If you or your organization would like to be a featured guest on the show, please send an email to ray at miraclesinrecovery.org. We'll send you an information packet on how to schedule a time for you to be on the show for the full hour so we can focus on what you have to bring to the recovery community. It's funny. I was thinking during the break or somebody reminded me about courage. And this is something totally, completely off from what we're talking about. This isn't about alcohol or drugs or anything. I've shared before, I have shared before that I am from New Bedford, Massachusetts, which is about 50 miles south of Austin. And somebody reminded me that I'm a Yankees and a Giants fan. So, <laughs> so I, I guess that took a little bit That's of courage when courage I was a kid. <laughs> you know, but seriously, back to... It, it does take a lot of courage to step up and to share who I am, to share who you are, what we've been through, and to try to at least put in someone's ear that it's okay to feel the way you feel. As long as you open yourself up enough for somebody to st- start instilling change, 
Well, and to be honest, you know, I am the addict's mom. Right. Both of my children are addicts. Isn't there that is a book? there should it's a, it's actually a group. Okay. There's yeah. an online you know group called the Addicts Mom, which is about twenty two thousand strong, and you learn an awful lot, mm-hmm. and you see an awful lot, and it can break your heart. But there's also hope. Uh, there's a lot of support, and moms need it. You know, a lot of times you're not going to get the support that you want from the rest of your family. You're not going to certainly not going to get it from your husband. I don't think there's a bigger cause of divorce other than infidelity and money than having an addict child because probably you're not going to agree on how to handle it. One person's going to be softer, the other's going to want to do the tough love and right, but it's not always it's not always the woman that wants to do the right thing. I mean there are situations where and people that I know that mothers Granted, they have love, but they just don't have the ability to be able to love. True. You know, and the fathers are the ones that are running around oh, yeah. nuts. It can be the, it can be the dad. Mm-hmm. There are dads in the addict's mom because mm-hmm. they, they suffer too. And I think even if, you, if, even if you are a tough love parent, you're still going to suffer. You're suffering because you love your child and it's hard. Yeah, it, it has to be. I mean, I have seen... You deal with your loved ones, and I've also been kind of, I would say, full circle with being the being the addict causing the havoc, and being the one who cared getting the getting it caused on me. Yeah. I, I, the causal effect of, of of an active addict, and it's not a nice place to be. And I can I can kind of understand from an addict's point of view. What I put my family through when I was running around and and not caring. And I don't necessarily know if I wasn't caring. I was just shut down so far that... I don't think you realize. I don't think addicts and alcoholics, I don't want to leave them out. I don't think addicts and alcoholics realize how much pain they cause, probably because you're in so much pain yourselves. I think we do. I just don't think we want to look at it. I think that's how we internalize it and say it's all about me. Well, that you know, if if you knew the the amount of pain, it would probably be a good reason to use. Uh, No, absolutely, and that's and I think that's justification Mm -hmm. for using. If I acted today like I did out on the street, there would be no other way to deal with that except to use, because. I just wasn't a nice person. I wasn't a loving person. I I used my family first and foremost for... Because you're safe there. Mm-hmm. You know, they're probably... They might eventually, but at first they're not going to turn you in. And if I could do that to them, I mean, sorry for the neighbors. Yeah. They didn't, they didn't even count. And the people on the street next door, they, they weren't even part of the equation of feeling bad for. Or your addict friends who were using right along with you, it'd be real easy to turn on them. In too. some it's twisted just... way, I think I had more of a um, bond at that time with them than I did with my own family members because I knew if one of my friends burned me, it was only because he wanted to use more. Oh, than... so you understood that. Yeah, <laughs> but I didn't, underst- I, I didn't know 
the depths of what I was doing to my family, or I really didn't care, or maybe I did care and I, I covered it by... Yeah, no, you probably yeah. just don't think about it. You're too busy creating the mayhem that addicts and alcoholics create, but it, it is a very painful place to be, and it is very mm-hmm. hard, you know, while the, while the addict or alcoholic is still using, it's very hard to find the courage to, to make change. a change in your own way of thinking so that you don't have to feel as bad as you're feeling, because, you know, we have a saying, you know, we get just as crazy, if not crazier. Crazier, I would have yeah. to say, because the sad thing is, is that at least when I was nuts... I was using. Yeah. You know, you, you didn't, I'm, not, I'm yeah. sober as a judge and acting like a crazy yeah. mom, doing things that could probably get me killed to try to save right. somebody. And right. it, it's, it's hard. It's hard. And, and it's, it's hard to turn that off. And it's hard to do the things that you, you know, take those hard steps to move away from that. So it, it takes courage on the family's part, too, to say, I'm not going to. I'm setting a boundary, and mm-hmm. I'm not going to let you step over it, no matter what you do. I think my family, I think my family found courage before I did, and once they ultimately shut me down, it didn't take long for me to realize that the life that I was living wasn't a nice place to be, and and I didn't have that out. I didn't have that emotional terroristic. Uh, connection anymore and and I didn't death started feeling a little bit like it was knocking on my door because I didn't have a way to escape I always whenever I hit bottom or if you wanted to call it that I I really don't call it a bottom because I would dig deeper the next time Um, so I never really hit bottom until the ultimate day that I chose never to use again one day at a time um Death started making house calls to me, you know, and, and the more you knock on the devil's door, sooner or later, he's going to answer it. And I didn't want, I didn't think that that was somewhere that I wanted, to, what I wanted to do to my family. I didn't want to do that to my family, but it was making sense to just be one of the statistics again. Because it's easier, I guess, after a while. You don't have to. You don't have to live through this anymore. And I can tell you from the other side, we feel the same way sometimes. It might be easier just to not wake up than to have to deal with this every day. Yeah. And and that's why when I guess people in, you know, the family unit hibernate and get, uh, you know, hide and stay in bed. Well, yeah, because if you look at statistics, they're not very um, heartening. There are a lot more people who don't make it out of this than do. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. It's an unfortunate but true fact right now that, you know, it it is a fatal disease and it will get you. Mm -hmm. It may get you clean, but we're all going to die. We're all going to die. But, you know, there are way too many people dying now of this disease. And Mm -hmm. it it is a very scary thing to be... A family member and watch that go on it, it's it's frightening and you you're never you know whether they're clean or not whether they're sober or not you're always waiting for that other shoe to drop because you know at any given moment it can happen again true and you know i'm grateful for the people that were there before me that i thought ultimately i didn't know where they went they just left the corner and 
ultimately I probably did that to somebody too. Somebody was yeah. looking for me one day and I was gone and they, well, he's dead, you know, and they just kept going on. I'm grateful for the people who left the corner before me, found a new way to live, found the courage to change and were there accepting me with open arms. And were willing to show you the way if you would follow it. I can't do this anymore. I can't rely on my family. I've broken this whole world that I live in and help. Using was still an option at the time because I didn't know any better. Uh, using, using stopped being an option oh, nine months into it. I mean, it, I, think, I think ultimately when I lost the obsession to use is when it stopped being a, an option. I can't pinpoint the day that that happened. One day I just woke up and the obsession wasn't there anymore. And I think that was because I had the willingness to take someone's hand and follow them on the path that they were walking, helping me make my own. And during that time, your brain was allowed to heal. Yes, or at least allowed to sit still enough to be able to... I mean, remember, my when I was a kid, my mind was going 900 miles an hour. Right. I was listening to the clock on the wall, and I, I always ended up finding myself in situations I shouldn't have been in because my mind was elsewhere except where it was supposed to be. So when I found solace in, in, in the drug that I used, it was a place I loved to be, but physically it blew me away. And when I came back out the other side of it, my mind is still my mind. My mind still today, 27 years later, still bounces off the walls. And we're sitting here talking and I'm losing my thoughts and <laughs> you know, it that's that's the world that the I old ADHD right. came that's, right back in. That's the world but, you that know, I, live I think in. there's there are must be a reason for that. You know, we need people who have that kind of energy. We do. <laughs> I think we do. We do. Just, not, just not all the time. Sometimes it gets, it. I forget what I'm doing and I'm... Well, but, or you could be overly obsessively controlling like me and and super organized and driving everybody else crazy around yeah, me because... Yeah, organized isn't something that yeah, I have so, to worry about. So it takes all kinds of people. Right. But you've, you've found the courage and I'm finding the courage to try to make a change, like they say in the serenity prayer. Courage to change the things I can. And one of the things that I found is I can only change me. And, and that's, change the, the that's the simplicity of it. I mean, how yeah. simple is that? It, well, All I have to do is focus on me. I love to complicate stuff because mm-hmm. my mind goes in 900 different directions. I have to have 900 reasons for this, that, the other thing. The very simple fact is I only have to worry about me. Right. Granted, I'm responsible for other people's lives in my world in in certain ways, but I really, if I don't have me, they don't have me either. Exactly. And I'm, it, I'm so grateful that it's brought down to the simplicity of, one, just don't use. Huh? <laughs> <laughs> and so, you know, I'm like, why is that hard? Right, right. Because... I mean, it's not, a, it's not a struggle today, but it's definitely an option. It's always an option. Um, I can think of times along my journey in recovery where people have, you know, put a joint in my face or something, wherever, something like that, something weird like that, and the common reaction is to grab it. 
Yeah. You want to drink? Oh yeah, sure. Well, wait, wait, no, no, no. <laughs> Can't do that. Hold on, hold on. I got, the, I got. I'm fortunate enough to be able to whip that tape through my mind and say, okay, that park bench, yeah, it's got your name on it still. How did I get through that process? I found courage in the people that were showing me how to do this, and that's the simple thing about it: is that. You just have to worry about you. You can't go through life disrespecting people and worrying about yourself. But if you don't have you, what do you have? Well, I think it's you stop trying to change. For a family member, you stop trying to change the alcoholic or the addict. Exactly. And you, you know, allow them the dignity to fail or to get better on their own. Because I cannot do it for someone else, but I can do it for me. And it is not an easy process. It no. It's not an easy process. It's very hard to give up those those old habits of just trying to control and fix everything. Because right. I'm good at it. And we're not gonna we're not going to fix it in an hour. That's you know? for sure. That, but it's it's great to be able to talk about it. And thank you all for listening. My name is Ray. And I'm Ellen. And we are absolutely miracles, miracles in, in recovery. recovery. Have a good night. Thank you. Thank you for joining us this week for Miracles in Recovery. Be sure to listen again for another edition with your host, Ray Lynch, on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel next Monday at 4 p.m. Pacific Time and 7 p.m. Eastern Time. Have a great week. Hope is in your corner.